Beginning producers from across the country have had many new challenges to deal with in 2022. But a few stood out as they took the year in stride. Hear how this year's best young farmers and ranchers class are thinking about their future. Today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. DTN's 2022 Ag Summit has just wrapped up with farmers from across the country convening virtually to talk and learn about conquering the chaos, strategies to build endurance for farm businesses. The conference provided tons of insight and information on everything from volatile commodity markets to supply chain challenges to the war in Ukraine and the outlook for 2023. But in the midst of all of this was one of DTN's most exciting annual announcements, that of the 2023 winners of the Best Young Farmers and Ranchers Awards. In today's episode, you'll learn a little bit more about this year's winners who sat down with DTN's Dan Miller to discuss their operations, their motivations, and the challenges they face today, and why they stood out in a crowded field this year. All these conversations and more right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Marketplace. Marketing is a year-round business, but it's not your only job. As you focus on field work, monitor your opportunities, and easily make an offer with help from the free DTN Ag Marketplace app. DTN Ag Marketplace facilitates end-to-end grain sales on your schedule. From your mobile device, you can easily connect to local agribusiness to view current cash bids and futures to sell your grain. Need more accountability in your marketing program? The app lets you set goals and monitor progress and enter and track inventory. Start to confidently market your crops with DTN Ag Marketplace. Download it today for free in the Apple Store. Now, back to the show. For our main story today, I'm going to turn it over to Dan Miller, Senior Editor at DTN Progressive Farmer. At this year's DTN Ag Summit, he led this important discussion among some of the winners of the 2023 class of Best Young Farmers and Ranchers. This program has been ongoing for more than a decade and with the express purpose of highlighting young people in farming and ranching and giving them a platform to share their stories, ideas, and innovations. Let's dive in. And I wanted to introduce you first to three of them that are on the set with me here today. Roger Smith from Brinkley, Arkansas is here. And we have Rachel and Jared Kunkel from Monmouth, Illinois. Let me start with Roger. Roger, tell me about your farm. Tell me how the year went and how things are going there. This year was, it was a little challenging. Started out really wet, then all of a sudden, of course, the drought and the heat. But we made it through the year. The crop the yields were down some, but we made it through the year, and everything's going well. We got done with harvest about November the 12th, so we just got done and happy to be done. Okay, good. Now, you told me when I was out visiting your farm about the people that gave you a shot. It was family, right? It was an uncle. It was a grandfather. It was landlords early on that kind of gave you a shot at the business. Tell me about them and how important that was to you. So my uncle and grandfather grandfather got me interested in farming. My uncle, he, from when I was, as long as I can remember, two years old, three years old, I always have a new John Deere toy tractor for Christmas and my birthdays. And my grandfather, he would pick me up from the school bus 
And if I asked him, my grandpa, I seen the combine up the road, you think we could go look at it? He would take me up there and let me watch him and talk to the guys because he had retired from farming by the time I was born. And my uncle, he had, he farmed a little while, but he went a different route and everything. But when I started back farming, my uncle, he helped me pretty much full time till his health got down. Yeah. And really helped me talk to some of the landlords when I first talked to them. Because one of the first landlords I talked to, he told me he was unsure about it. And my uncle said, this is where he's going to call you back. He needs somebody. He's going to call you back. <laughs> so he called me back, and I picked up that first piece of land, and we just kind of grown from there and everything. And that one landlord that was unsure about me, he called some other people and said, Get, rent, him, rent him your land. He's doing me good. So it grew from there. It grew from there. Okay. Rachel and Jared, tell us about your farm. You guys are first-generation farmers. I mean, you have farming in your family background, but no farming that you're connected to, right? Correct. Yes, we started technically in 2008. Rachel's uncle was just helping his aunt out, making sure the farm got taken care of by someone else, and he offered to rent it to us because he knew that was a goal of mine when he met me. And so that's how the farming habit started. And we luckily had some things along the way to help get us started where we are today. Okay. And Jared, when I first called you, you said that Rachel had to be part of the package, that, that you guys did not, you did not farm by yourself, right? That's correct. And that's something we talked about quite a bit while we were out at your yeah. operation and how the two of you cooperate and talk through things, right? Yep, absolutely. She had to be supportive of this whole starting the farm situation, and she worked a job at Caterpillar to help fund the habit of farming. And <laughs> so as we kind of progressed and, and got a little bit bigger and things like that, she was able to step away from that job and join the farm especially on the financial side, on the home front as well. But it was a big deal for me to take that financial side off the table that she could kind of handle it. I remember listening to an economist, and he happened to sit right next to me. And it was at the time that we were trying to decide, does it make sense to make this jump to get rid of her full-time income? And he just, I told him the story, and I tried not to like cherry pick it. I tried to be very honest of where we were. And he just goes, what are you waiting on? And that was some of the best advice, and it's been great ever since. With, not without some so challenges. Yeah, Rachel, tell me your side of the story here. I think I learned that to be a better team, to really understand, I needed to be more involved. I think I was very hands-off to start, which might have been a good thing for him. I didn't nitpick or question the decisions he was making. But then as we started to see, I could see it was definitely his passion. And if we were making it work, I could add benefit. And I wanted to and wanted to be more of a partner in it. And luckily, like you said, he got the advice that do it. And I knew I was good with spreadsheets. I can write checks and do that side of it and take that piece for him and allowed him to do other things. Okay, okay, thanks. Roger, you bought your first piece of land in 2019, right? Yes, sir. Tell me about that. Tell me how important that is to to you to be able to buy land. So... I've always I always dreamed about owning some land, which my family had. We had 40 acres, but I wanted my own land. And uh, I had leveled that farm through NRCS. So I had put the work in the farm, and they decided, the family decided they wanted to sell it. And I was like, whoa, I, like, I really want to buy this. I done fixed it up and got it going. I don't want to let somebody else get it. And I went to talk to the bank, and they told me, I was like, make something work, we'll get you. We'll get you financed, and I bought a piece of land, and I'm still farming, and I'm just, it's really, it's, it's nothing like on your own piece of ground. Like, when you make a decision on it, or it yields really good, you're like, yeah, it makes you feel really good. You've got a good story about that first, that 40 acres of land that was in your family that your great-great-grandmother purchased, right? Yeah, so my great-great-grandmother 
They came from Alabama. They got 80 acres of Arkansas, 80 acres of land in Wheatley, Arkansas. They got fell on hard times, and she was debating on if she didn't sell part of it, she was gonna lose the whole thing. So she sold 40 acres to an, an, another cousin of ours, and that way we were able to hold on to that farm, and I grew up on that farm. That's, and I was the first, of course, when I told them I decided I wanted to farm, that was the first piece of ground I got. So I still farm that farm today, and I'm just really appreciative that they held on to it, because if they didn't, I might, I don't know, I might have grew up in town, and I might not be here. So I'm really thankful for that. Thanks for that story. You guys bought, Rachel and Jared, you guys bought a 10-acre piece of property this year, right? We and did. it was yeah. kind of a significant investment. You have specific plans for it. Can you tell me what it was for, what you hope it's for, and how that folds into what you're doing. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, and it's interesting, Roger, 2019 was the first year we bought our first farm as well. So, <laughs> But yeah, the 10 acres this year, we've been looking to hopefully invest in, in grain bins and put up a facility. And so where we're located, we don't have any other ground that we technically own, or it was just nice to have our own power, our own water. I have some very understanding landowners that let me use theirs and wash equipment and things like that. So it was a big move for us. There's a house there. I'm not sure what we're going to do with that, but yeah, we'll see. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a very house. A lot of work, though. Yes. <laughs> yes. A lot of work. Let me ask you a last question, though. So what can you tell other young farmers from what you've learned? You come from, like I said, kind of a different background and everything, but what, what advice would you both give to young farming couples? Go first. You go first. <laughs> if you're married, a supportive spouse. You got to have that because there's just a lot that goes on. And if you have someone at home that's constantly asking where you're at, why you're not home, things like that, it can be very tiring. And the other thing is do things you don't want to do to get to the next step. It's not long term, but it can be short term to to make it work. I would say communication. There was a lot I didn't understand at first. And Jared was still very good about telling me what he was thinking about doing. And he could not have done that. But doing that piece from the very beginning and explaining to me how this would benefit, what he was going to use it for. I valued that he valued my opinion, even if he probably knew I didn't have a good opinion. But that really set the stonework and what we could build off of that communication at the very beginning. Okay. Oh, Roger, let me ask you one last question. I think we have time for one more question, okay? Tell me what you, what's your takeaway? What would you tell young farmers? You talk to me a lot about just being good, being honest and fair with people, and you found that that works really well for you, right? Yeah, I would tell young farmers, be patient, do people right, ask for advice. Go, you, you can got some people that's going to give you good advice, some people that's going to give you bad advice, but take all the advice you can get because it helps a lot. I wouldn't be where I was today if it wasn't for some people telling me things I needed to know, and uh, I'm really appreciative of that, and just, just treat people right, and it'll work out. Okay. Roger Smith and Rachel and Jared Kunkel, thank you for your time today. And uh, we have our second panel of young farmers from this newest class here with me. Here is Zach Brown from Success Arkansas, and we've got Sam Sparks from Mercedes, Texas, and over here, Taylor Nelson from South Sioux City, Nebraska. Let me start with you, Taylor. Tell me about how you got into the farming business, because it wasn't a straight shot from, say, school back to the farm, right? That's right. So being a multi-generational family farming operation, you might think the conventional route is to go straight back to the farm. But after uh, attending college at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, I returned back and saw an entrepreneurial opportunity to uh, start a convenience store business in our uh, small town. Um, and from there, we learned a lot of different aspects working outside of the farm and family business that 
We were really able to bring back and apply to our operation when it comes to managing people and creating systems and procedures in your business and a lot of different aspects. And that kind of afforded us the opportunity and some experience to get back into the family farming operation and to uh, kind of transition in over time after college. Okay. Zach, you weren't going to come back to the farm, right? Your family no, had a sir. farm, your mom and dad were farming. And, yes, and, sir. But you were not going to come back. No, sir. I went to the University of Arkansas, and when I left Corning, I wasn't going to come back. And about my junior year of college, I tried a little bit of everything over there and decided that I wanted to come back and look at the farm from the adult side and management side and look at it that way. I'd worked on it my whole life, but just never, never looked at it from the running it side of it. Was there one thing, one moment, something like that, that you said, okay, this is what I want to do. This is why I'm going to come back. Just realizing how important it is at the end of the day and being able to continue the family legacy. I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Spend okay. quality time with family. Okay. And you have rice and beans and corn some years, yes, correct? Sir. Correct. How did this year go for you? It went fair. Um, beans were average, a little bit above average. Rice was a little below average. I don't think corn was quite average from what I've heard from people, but I didn't have any of it this year. Okay, okay. And Sam farms about as far south in Texas as you can get, yeah. right? He's right down right down on the Gulf and right where Mexico and the U.S. come together. So tell me about farming down there. Where are your markets? What's How does farming work that in that part of Texas? So we're growing cotton, corn, grain sorghum, soybeans, some sugar cane, and then we've also dabbled into some specialty markets. But being so close to Mexico and their need for the crops that are produced in the United States, we've seen that Mexico is a very important market for us uh, to the point where all of our corn, our grain sorghum, all of our cotton seed, and there's even some crushing facilities in Mexico that will buy all of our soybeans. And so that's very important to us. Okay. And you're, you're starting to move into some specialty crops, right? And tell us what those are and why you're doing that. That's correct. In the Rio Grande Valley, you've seen some companies come down that are looking to expand some production, uh, looking for new areas of production, and as far as sesame, canola, even some black-eyed peas. And uh, I feel like you're going to see more and more of that going into the future, giving farmers the opportunity to grow some of these specialty crops with a contract in place so they know what they're going to get. In the and Taylor, tell me about this year for you. It was a difficult year, right? It was a very dry year. You have a good amount of irrigated ground, but it was still a challenging year. Yeah, we, we faced a lot of challenges this year with the weather. One of the driest, if not the driest year on record in our area. And thankfully, our operation has a decent amount of irrigation. And so we were able to overcome some of that. But even still, as we sit today, our subsoil bank is empty and needs to be recharged. And it creates a lot of concern even looking forward with what's next year going to look like. And what does next year look like for you right now? What are you thinking? It's hard to tell. We have a lot of weather and moisture challenges. As you can see, there's a lot of volatility in the marketplace, a lot of from the input side with prices going up. In this environment, we're very thankful for the higher commodity prices, but it creates higher stakes and it creates a set of challenges in and of itself to that and continue to be successful. Okay. Okay. Sam, tell us about your cattle operation. What do you have going there and how you run it? So we raise uh, Brahmin cattle. We have about a hundred head of registered mom and cows that will breed year in and year out. And then we also have a large group of what we call recipient cows where we take our Brahmin embryos and we'll implant those embryos into these recip cows uh, to help us to expand our genetics and share those genetics with those seeking what we're producing across the globe. Okay. Okay. And you, your markets are Southeast Asia, right? That's correct. There's a pretty big demand for what we're producing in Thailand, for instance, but even as close as Mexico, once again, Mexico is a 
um, a very good consumer of what we're producing on the cattle side of things. Okay. And Zach, you and I talked about this a little bit, went back and forth on it a little bit, but you've, you've farmed how many or 20? About 26, 2700. Yeah, 26, 27. You've reached a point, unless I'm exaggerating, you've reached a point in terms of management goes where you can't do it all anymore. Correct. Right? You can't be hands on everything, correct? Correct. So how are you working through that process now? Just relying on good help to take care of some of the stuff that I used to do basically by myself to allow me to make sure all the pieces of the puzzle are going to the right direction and everything at the end of the day gets worked like I'd like for it to and look like I'd like for it to. And it's, and it's also, it's, it's some things that you may have to give up, right? Yes, sir. Spraying, right? Yep. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Tell me about your grandfather, because he was, if there was a mentor for you in the farm, was it him? Yeah, him and my father. And your father, um, yeah, sure. He was born and raised on our farm, never left, and... Just I'm up until 90 year old would drive around, dig behind me, planting rice, or just make sure we always did it how he thought we should do it. And he'd follow you, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He'd dig up rice and make sure it's, oh, it's yeah. going where yeah. it's supposed to go. And skin cancer had took one out. This hybrid rice we was planting 20 pounds instead of he's used to 100 or 80 pounds, and he couldn't find the rice seed with just one eye. And so I'd have to stop multiple times, say no, Papa, we're, it's planting. I, pr I promise the drill's planting seed. We're okay. <laughs> and had to convince him that we were okay, and he'd be back that afternoon checking again. Yeah, but. yeah, interesting. Taylor, you farm with your father as well, right? Yep. And tell me about that process, how that's working, and where the two of you see the farm going. Yeah, really thankful for the opportunity that you get as a multi-generation family farming operation. The groundwork that's been laid by my dad and then the generations before him, and I take it as a challenge. There's tons of young farmers that would kill to be in the situation that multi-generational family farmers are in, where they get this opportunity. And so to me, that's a motivating factor to get up and do my absolute best every day. Okay. Let me ask you one question while you're here is, Taylor and I met each other at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas last year. You were there to talk about Deere's new autonomous tractors and, the, and, and tillage system, correct? Correct. I'm not asking you to talk about that system necessarily, but what about the role? You've seen that bit of technology on the farm. Where do you see this technology? Where does it fit best for you? Where would it be most helpful? To me, it's just a tremendous opportunity that's just getting started. There's a lot of things, whether it's labor constraints, whether it's time with family, whether it's timeliness of operation, a lot of different things that we're trying to address and deal with as farmers. And just being able to have some firsthand experience, seeing, you know, what sort of productivity unlocks we can get with the future of autonomy and how we could possibly do things better or more consistent and some of the different possible outcomes from that across the entire midwest is really exciting to me and so it's been exciting to be a part of the work that's been being done in that space and i just see a tremendous amount of opportunity for growth and continued improvement in the technology realm okay Zach, last question. Tell me about being a young farmer um, these days. What are some of the challenges that you, that you come up with? Keeping help, just kind of like he led. The groundwork has been laid for us. We just got to continue on, do the best we can, and carry it on. Okay. Sam, what about you've got three kids, and we've talked to you and Shannon, that you're not forcing them to come onto the farm. But what would you tell them? What do you tell them about farming and agriculture? I mean, they know that we are very passionate about production agriculture. They see that in me being a third generation farmer myself and my wife is now helping me on the farm and so the kids are there on a regular basis. But we have 
had several discussions where we want them to find what it is that interests them the most. And if it's not agriculture, then it's not agriculture. But if it is, then we definitely welcome them coming back and being a part of the family operation. Okay. I think we'll wrap it up, Zach. Sam, Taylor, appreciate you being up here. And it's been an honor to meet all of you this year and the other young farmers that we have. So, If you missed the DTN Ag Summit earlier this week, don't worry. You can still watch or listen to all of these virtual events on the DTN platform. If you haven't registered, you can do so at www.dtn.com backslash ag summit. A recording of each session will be posted roughly 24 hours after it was aired live and will be available on the Whova platform for 30 days after the virtual ag summit has concluded. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Katie Dellinger, Dan Miller, and the 2023 class of Best Young Farmers and Ranchers. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show.